Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Jeremy Johnson, owner of Vegan Perfection in Melbourne, Australia. This is another audio interview I did for my book, Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Now, Jeremy's interview will be particularly informative for those of you interested in importing products internationally and also getting products into retailers. Jeremy became vegan while he was living in the UK. When he moved to Australia, he was initially frustrated at the lack of products available, so he filled a gap by starting Vegan Perfection, whose core business is as a wholesaler and distributor. So there's a lesson there already about filling a gap in the market to achieve success. In this interview, Jeremy talks about the importance of being proactive. Instead of waiting for clients, and in Jeremy's case, retailers, to come to you, you must go to them. And that might fly in the face of attraction marketing, which is a buzzword right now, but it goes to show that you have to do what works for your particular business. How Jeremy coped with an incident where the company's first import shipment nearly proved to be a disaster and what he learned to avoid similar situations occurring. The dangers of growing your business too quickly, especially if your startup capital doesn't support the level of growth, and much more. Here's the interview with Jeremy Johnson of Vegan Perfection. So tell me a bit about your why, Jeremy. Why do, what, what's your drivers for running uh, Vegan Perfection? Um... I guess it, uh, that's a little bit of a moving feast. Um, originally, um, it was um, the, the, the idea was, I guess, born out of a bit of a frustration with what was available um, to vegans in Australia. Um, I became vegan when I was in the UK, um, and it was a, a very—I found it a very quick and easy transition um, from um, being a a meat eater to a vegetarian to a vegan, um, because vegans were very well catered for in the UK at that time. Um, about a year or a year or two later, I moved back to uh, Australia from the UK, and um, yeah, that's when I sort of found that Australia was very much uh, wanting for um, good vegan food producers and good vegan uh, food products. So um, I guess it was probably uh, partly selfish reasons to start with. Um, it was just sort of set about rectifying that sort of bit of that lack in Australia. And um, I guess since then, um, the why or the goals have changed a little bit. Um, uh, not only nowadays, it's not only we want to cater to vegans and give vegans access to uh, good quality products, but we um, want to show people that you can live an indulgent lifestyle as a vegan. So, as well as catering for people that have um, already converted to veganism, um, trying to show people that are possibly thinking of the idea or had the idea in the back of their head that um, living a vegan lifestyle doesn't mean living without, you can live an indulgent lifestyle. 
uh, while still being ethical and uh, living to your own moral code. Fantastic, lovely. Now, Jeremy, am I right in thinking you you don't so much manufacture items? You're more of a, a like an online shop that stocks a lot of brands. Is that right? Yeah, we don't do any, any manufacture at all. We um, we import um, most of our product and we distribute it all around the country. So we're an importer distributor um, primarily. Yeah. Um, right. So we distribute to three to four hundred stores around Australia, um, and we have a couple of distribution partners in some in some uh, more remote uh, areas. Um, okay. And and you also sell direct to the public online. We do. We well. have a, we have an online shop where we sell direct to the public, but it's a okay. a very small. Very, very small part of our business primarily. Is it? Right. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I didn't realize you, you supplied to other stores and, and let alone so many. Yeah, so that's, probably, that's fantastic. Probably 95% of our business would be supplying, um, um, you know, wholesale, um, and also to distributors, uh, interstate. Fabulous. Because one of my questions was for, for the food manufacturers is that um, some of them say, you know, because the raw materials cost more, um, you know, obviously the products cost a bit more. I just wonder whether you find that in terms of distribution, whether you maybe find it a bit um, harder to perhaps get into uh, non-vegan stores because the vegan products are a bit more expensive or is that not really a problem for you? It's not a problem. It's not really a barrier for entry um, because the... Uh, the retailers tend to know that uh, the product will sell at the higher price. Um, the retailers generally are not taking on vegan product out of the kindness of their heart or because they are vegetarian or vegan. Generally, uh, they know that there is a market for the product so that they'll, they will stock it. Um, and unfortunately, with um, the vegan products still being, um, I guess, for want of a better phrase, still a niche market, with uh, you know, a, a very small percentage of your sort of standard or everyday market, um, but products obviously selling to a smaller, uh, smaller audience means that the sort of the scale is not as big, and therefore the um, the production costs are much higher. So, whether the product is um, manufactured in Australia or whether it's manufactured overseas, um, they generally tend to be more expensive than non-vegan products and. Obviously, then you've also got the additional expenses of importing product and distributing product, which can be pretty considerable as well. Right. How do you go about get overcoming that challenge? Is it a case of sort of convincing, you know, the retailers that, you know, this is a growing market, it's kind of almost maybe a bit hip and popular now? How, right. Is that something you sort of share with them to encourage them to, to take the product? Um, um, it was very much, it was very much at, at the start, it was very much a hands-on approach where, um, I went and visited stores, um, you know, probably more than once, some of them even two, three times to get them to sample the product as much as possible. That was probably the main thing that I tried to do when I first started was, uh, all the products that I used to eat in the UK that I, that I loved, um, I made a, a point of getting it into the mouths of the people that I was trying to get to put it on their shelves. And generally, generally speaking, um, they were able to recognise that they were they were high quality products. That they were they were very tasty products. A lot of them couldn't believe that some of the products were vegan, um, as you would expect. Um, and uh, that was sort of the the key to 
um, convincing them to give it a go, I guess. Brilliant. No, that sounds like a very good strategy. I think that's always a way, particularly with food, is to actually get people to taste it Absolutely. so that they can yeah. No doubt. And, and also an, an element of persistence as well. If I had have approached them once and sort of, you know, um, gone away and waited for them to initiate something, um, possibly it wouldn't have happened. But sort of um, making a point of, you know, if I didn't hear from them, going back and seeing them again and... Uh, I think giving them the impression that I wasn't just a, a fly-by-night sort of thing that was going to be around for six months and then disappear um, because with their businesses, at the end of the day, they run a, a commercial business and if they're going to take a, a leap of faith and stock a new brand of products or a new range of products or they're going to move into the vegan market, they, they need to know that, that those products are going to be around long-term. For them, if a, if a product disappears after six months and they've devoted their shelf space to it and they've given time and everything else to it, um, it's probably the worst thing that can happen because then they've got empty shelf space they need to fill with another product that they then need to establish. And um, yeah. it's it's almost uh, without exception that a product takes some time to develop. Um, it's a very rare product that just runs straight off the shelves as soon as the minute it's introduced. It's sort of usually a bit of a slow burn and uh, the retailer plays quite a part in that. They have to be patient. They have to be uh, willing to lose the occasional bit of stock um, for the the bigger picture or the longer term. And uh, it's part of the challenge to convince them that you're going to be around long enough that uh, they're going to have a long and successful relationship with you. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Thank you for sharing that. What would you say? I mean, you've kind of, I suppose you touched on it a little bit um, in terms of what some of your key challenges are when first starting up your business. And I guess, you, as you've mentioned, it was possibly making those initial contacts and establishing yourself as, as trustworthy. Were there any other challenges? Um, in, the, in the industry that I'm in, which involves a lot of logistics, uh, temperature control, transport, those sorts of things. There's um, there's a, a lot of potential for problems, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's almost inevitable that uh, issues will arise um, at some stage. And uh, in our case, they they hit straight away. Our first our first um, shipment of stock that we shipped from the UK um, all got destroyed because it was um, left out um, on a uh, uh, airport tarmac in Dubai, I believe, by oh, no. a careless forklift operator. And, uh, wow. So that was the, one of the biggest challenges I've ever faced, basically right there at the start. And um, We managed to just survive that and, and get through that. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's just... Um, the... Yeah, the logistical issues were the biggest ones for me, were um, the hardest thing to overcome because, again, it goes back to that relationship that we, we would build with retailers and with the people that consume our products where they expect a, a steady supply of the product and they expect it to be in good condition and high quality. And if you have um, suppliers letting you down or if you have uh, freight forwarders or people that are involved in the logistical side of things letting you down, then uh, that's basically going to pass on directly through you to your customers and to your retailers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we don't supply to supermarkets and big corporations, so we had the advantage that the people that we were dealing with that owned these businesses were, were people. They weren't just companies. 
so they're a little more understanding than what, uh, say, a big supermarket would be. Um, but their patience only extends so far. So, um, For sure, yeah. Probably the biggest yeah. challenge is trying to keep everybody happy. As the old saying goes, you can't keep everybody happy all the time. Yes. You just have to do your best to get as close as possible to that. Had you had any experience uh, in this sort of area at all before, Jeremy? Like, you know, kind of, you know, importing products, getting them into into retailers, or was this like a brand new venture? Yeah, I had no no experience whatsoever. I'm an engineer by trade. And, oh right. Um, yeah, I had no. a complete <laughs> career change. Um, basically, uh, when I started the when I started the profession, um, so uh, I just learned as I went. Basically, and you learn some some tough lessons along the way. That incident that I talked about a little while ago uh, was a lesson learned. Um, what, what did you do? What would you say are the key lessons learned? Because obviously that was something you couldn't really, I guess, control. It was someone being careless. What did you do then to put in place to uh, avoid that happening in the future? Uh, I just tried to take more control over things myself so that I, um, I mean, I, I'd put my faith and trust in people um, and I still do, um, you know, on a on a daily basis. But um, I I think I, I just identified pretty quickly um, where the areas of greatest concern were, and set about trying to get those under as much control, under as much of my control as possible, uh, so that uh, I had a, a lot of input into uh, how things worked rather than just, um, relying on somebody else's word that, yes, this will happen, um, don't worry about it, it'll all be fine in the end. Um, I basically went, broke things down into minute detail as to, rather than just accepting that things would be fine, I wanted to know the reasons, uh, why it would be fine the second time around when it wasn't the first time around. And, Got it. Um, Great. Okay. Cool. And it's, it's mainly about, um, well, in my case, anyway, it's not necessarily um, as a general rule, but it was uh, a lot of the time it was about being very dogged and um, persevering uh, as far as you have to, whether it's dealing with suppliers or logistical people or, as I mentioned earlier, dealing with um, retailers. You have to persevere. Um, and I would be very surprised if there was any startup venture out there that didn't encounter some fairly significant problems, uh, if not early on, but at least at some stage of their existence. Um, and really the only way to overcome those or to get through those times is just to persevere and uh, ride it out and uh, wait for things, either wait for things to get better or just make things better yourself. Great, I like that. No, that's some really, really good advice there. That's fantastic. Um, so in terms of um, some of these questions actually that I emailed to you, I don't really apply to you because you're because you import that you've said your main business is actually importing. And I'm guessing you're probably are you like the only or one of the few, uh, you know, companies that does what you do, like import specifically vegan foods. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely certain, but we, if we weren't the first business that that uh, did it, then we're fairly fairly close to the first. Um, there may have been a couple of others, I think, that were were in existence when we started up. Um, I think importing uh, product from Asia primarily, um, but we were the first, I think, that really started importing product from the UK and Europe and those sorts of places. Um, so you've not got a huge amount of competition. 
Um, well, it's grown, it has grown a lot in the last four or five years. So there's been, uh, I would say, a deluge of um, good quality vegan product um, that has sort of landed on Australian shores in the last four or five years. I think we've been going for about four years um, and we were like, not the only one, but one of very, very few businesses that were doing what we do. Um, now there would be, um, I'm not sure of the exact number, but there would be, I would say, at least half a dozen that are doing um, very similar to what we do. Um, so how do you stay competitive, Ginger? Like how do you sort of convince, you know, businesses, retailers to, to do business with you and not the others? So how do you manage to sort of stand out, I guess, from the others that have come into the market? Well, a lot of it, a lot of it um, particularly when you're dealing, when you're talking about wholesaling and distribution, a lot of it's about the relationship that you have with those retailers that stock your product. Um, you have to have, you have to obviously have to have good products that people want to buy and people want to eat. Um, but you also have to have a very good relationship with the um, the retailers that are going to stock your product. Um, and the best way to do that is to give them very good service. And uh, they want products that they're going to sell, um, and they want products that they like to stock. But um, equally as important to them is the service that you give them. If you um, give them prompt deliveries, prompt deliveries would um, that aren't riddled with errors and you don't run out of stock on a regular basis and everything else, then um, I think you become known for your reliability in the industry um, right. and you build a okay. reputation around that. And um, it definitely enables you to remain competitive um, in the market regardless of um, how many new products come out and how many, how many new um items come out that are in direct competition with items that you already sell, um, a lot of the time if you provide the service, the uh, the retailer will, will stick with you because uh, it's not always that easy for them to get that level of service. Got it, got it. Well, a lot of marketing gurus nowadays say that actually businesses should just stop thinking about competitors, having competitors altogether and think of them as collaborators, you know, with who to do joint ventures. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's a bit, is it unrealistic? Is it, what, what, or what do you think about it? Well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about today's approach, but for um, many years, um, um, my, um, a couple of my brothers are, um, work in um, the financial world um, and very knowledgeable about these sorts of things and um, they've told me for many years that um, they never fear competition because um, what usually happens is it just creates complementary markets, it expands the market um, and it's not necessarily the case not necessarily the case that um, your product will automatically be replaced by the newer and better products. It usually will be the case that the market will expand and will they'll make space for both products. Um, so uh, I certainly um, don't see new vegan products as competitors to our products. I see them as um, just another way that the market is going to grow and expand. And uh, I think we all benefit from that. The people that have the businesses, I think, benefit. And obviously, the consumer benefits because they get a wider choice. Um, and obviously, the planet and the animals benefit 
for every new vegan product that's out there, um, there's hopefully one less non-vegan product. So um, obviously exactly. it's better for animals and better for the planet. Um, yeah, and that's sure. ultimately the goal that I think anybody that's um, doing what I'm doing or doing something similar to what I'm doing, whether they're a manufacturer, whether they're an importer or a distributor, whether they're a retailer, um, or whether they're involved in um, campaigning on a daily basis, we're all sort of we're all working towards the same thing ultimately, and that's a compassionate world where animals are treated with compassion and treated equally humans rather than yeah. treated as commodity. For sure. In terms of um, mindset, you already touched a little bit on this when you said some of the qualities that you need to be very persistent, you know, very, very dogged. Um, what sort of steps or strategies or techniques do you use to sort of ensure that you've got a strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner? Because, you know, there's a lot of stress going on. Like you said, you suffered that right at the beginning. You know, your, your products are being ruined. Um, sometimes it can be overwhelming, you know, lots so much to do. What sort of things do you do to, to cope with that to ensure you've got a yeah, strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner? Um, I, I just can see the fact that I'm not going to have a strong mental and emotional well-being. Okay. I wish I could uh, uh, give you some, some uh, words of wisdom on that front, but um, I think from, from my perspective, um, there have been um, many, many times where I've just felt like all I wanted to do was give up and uh, stop doing what I do. Um, feeling, you know, overwhelming frustration and disappointment and uh, other negative emotions. Um, but uh, I think at the end of the day, um, and it's a bit of a cliche these days and it's bandied about a lot, but if you're passionate about what you're doing, um, you can overcome pretty much anything um, if you believe in what you're doing and the goal that you're working towards, then uh, you can overcome those obstacles. And I think in a, I think a combination of two things, basically, uh, that I'm, I'm, I am a very dogged individual. I um, Once I start something, I generally always feel the need to finish it um, and yeah the second thing is I think if I was if I'd set up a business that I didn't believe in so much that it didn't mean so much to me in terms of my own um, moral and ethical beliefs uh, I would have probably given up a long time ago but um, yeah yeah, that's really important. I think that whole why, you know, if your why is strong enough. It is. I mean, at um, if you're if you're in if you get into something like that as a means purely to make money, then um, it won't it won't end well because I'm not saying that you can't make money. You can make a living from uh, and from ethical and vegan business. There's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, yeah, if you unless you go into it with the right reasons, um, it's never going to sort of have a great outcome because yeah. there are always going to be challenges, and it's not just vegan businesses that face challenges. I think every business and every commercial um, entity in the world faces challenges on a daily basis, and 
sometimes they do become overwhelming and sometimes um, you do feel like just walking away from it. And obviously in um, in the world in general, um, a lot of people do walk away from those sorts of situations, but um, their motivation might not be as strong as what my motivation is because my motivation is born out of my own personal um, um, what would you call it? My own personal ambition for the world, which is um, yeah. obviously for the world eventually to see the light <laughs> and uh, see the error of its ways. Fantastic, fantastic. Oh, I like that. Um, what if any, Jeremy, have you ever used any kind of professional help over the years to grow your business? So I'm thinking in terms of, you know, whether you've hired anyone for something like business coaching, marketing, publicity, any, any of that kind of thing? Uh, no. Uh, no. You haven't? Okay. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, there are a few reasons why. Um, yeah, it's hard to describe that one. Um, I think I think because um, when, particularly when I first started, um, because veganism was um, not not hip and not trendy and not particularly well known in Australia, um, I think I had it in my head that um, business professionals wouldn't be able to understand my business sufficiently to be able to help my business. Um, that again, they possibly would have thought that this was a a flash in the pan. It would um, burn out as quickly as it sort of started up. Um, and from that that perspective, um, I sort of avoided um, mainstream advertising and avoided dealing with um, professionals that. Um, coach, um, yeah, do business coaching and that sort of thing because I was trying to, I think I was sort of trying to forge a, a different path. And from that perspective, uh, I didn't think that there was anybody out there that had the experience that could really, um, that could really help me to forge that path, I guess. I, I think yeah, I had, no, that makes sense. I had to walk yeah. it myself. Um, if anything, I, I think, my um, greatest mentors, for want of a better word, um, that probably weren't mentors in the strictest sense of the word, but um, people that I um, that I could rely on for advice and and those sorts of things were some of my um, my first suppliers um, who'd been in business for quite some time and were running ethical vegan businesses. Um, they were. Uh, or they, they were and are great people, but they um, had a strong business sense and a strong business acumen in the way that they ran their business. They ran vegan businesses and ethical businesses and businesses that they were proud of personally, but they also ran commercially viable ventures and that really drove it home to me that um, one of the most important things that you can do is to have a commercially viable venture that is ethical and it is vegan so that other people can look at it and say, oh, okay, it's not just a little flash in the pan niche market. It's something that is here and here to stay. And yeah. um, from that, hopefully, 
it just grows and continues to snowball as it does. How did you think? How did you manage to get your business to grow? So, in terms of you know raising your brand awareness, um, I know you mentioned you didn't do sort of many mainstream paid advertising. Was it sort of more word of mouth, or sort of within the vegan community yeah, that you sort of? Yeah, there's a lot of word of mouth. Um, we do um, targeted advertising in you know particular publications that were geared towards the market that we were appealing to. Um, and we also made a point of diversifying. So while our business is called Vegan Perfection and while um, my wife and I are both vegan and while we only import vegan products and would never import anything or would never sell a product that was non-vegan, um, we diversified into other markets such as um, dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free, nut-free, those sorts of things, which um, oh. enabled us to grow because we weren't reliant on one particular sector of the market. Um, without a doubt, um, vegan consumers, I'm sure, are our, our, um, our biggest um, audience, but uh, we've picked up several other sort of um, groups along the way, if you, if you like. And, um, yeah, we cool. Oh, that's great. So diversify, I think, was one of the key factors in that. Excellent. What would you say, so for people, as you mentioned, you're an engineer and this is all new to you. What would you say to people nowadays who, you know, someone who aspires to, to owning their own vegan-run business? What, in your opinion, are the key things they need to take into account before making the jump from employed to self-employed? Um, pretty much the stuff that we've already discussed, but there's going to be, uh, there's going to be frustration along the way. There's going to be disappointment along the way. Um, but the the positives and the personal satisfaction that you'll gain out of uh, the journey will will outweigh far outweigh the, those negative aspects. Um, what about in terms of how they can get it for like, because some, a couple of other people have said to me, you know, to make sure that, um, you know, you've got enough funding in place, whether that's from a loan or investor absolutely, or yeah. part time work absolutely. or, uh, yeah, start, yeah, startup capital is absolutely critical. If you, if you start with too little, um, it's almost financially almost impossible, um, for the business to last long term. Cash, cash flow is a challenge for, Every business in the world, I think, whether it's a small vegan business or a, uh, a large, a medium-sized company, um, cash flow and finance will always be the biggest challenges that you face. Um, and from that perspective, if you don't have sufficient startup cap capital, you're, you're swimming upstream right from the start. Um, yeah. And it's very easy to run out of money. Did you carry on working part time, or did you have some saving? How did you fund your business to be in with? Uh, no, I, I went. Um, I went in feet first, and um, <laughs> from the time the business started, I've um, been full time in the business right from the very first day. Um, mm. My wife was also full time in the business um, from the first day as well. So between the two of us, we sort of We'd given up all um, income streams and sources of employment um, to focus uh, solely on the task of starting and building the business. Mm. Um, we lived 
very frugally and, uh, <laughs> and and for obvious reasons, you know, we, we had to save every penny we could um, and for the purposes mainly of funneling any pennies that we had into the business to keep the business going, number one, and then hopefully uh, growing the business as we went. Yeah, got uh, so it. So we were... We were sufficiently capitalised, um, but we were only starting as a very small venture. So yeah. we we didn't allow things to grow too quickly, or we didn't have ambitions beyond what our capital would support. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we managed to get through the, for those first couple of years. We had some tight scrapes along the way, particularly when our first batch of stock was destroyed. Um, but uh, we managed to get through that, and um, that's the critical sort of point, I think, is the first two years. If you can survive those, then you can usually get some sort of um, some sort of system into your business where your cash flow doesn't, doesn't look after itself, but it sort of becomes a little bit less of an issue. It never goes away as a problem, but um, it alleviates a little bit once you're established and once you sort of got established products and established customers and that sort of thing. But um, without without a, any shadow of a doubt, if you don't have sufficient capital, then um, it's going to be extremely difficult to make it work. Yeah, no, it's really good advice. Thank you for that. In uh, terms of the use of the word vegan in your marketing material, so obviously you know, it's in the title of your company, Vegan Perfection. So some people say, oh, you know, you should steer away from that because it scares some people away. And the other thought is, no, it's very clever niche marketing. So um, just tell me a little bit about your choice of going right from the beginning with, uh, you know, the word vegan in the name of your company and, and your marketing material. Um, well, when we first, sort of devised the idea of um, starting the company um, it really it really was um, two vegan people um, wanting to do something um, that increased increased access to vegan products for people increased people's awareness of veganism um, Promoted veganism in the best possible light as a, an indulgence lifestyle, not one of um, denial. Um, and I don't know, a lot of people probably be right in saying that we were possibly a bit naive. And, um, but I think when we were first thinking of a name for the business, um, I, the word vegan was always going to be in there. It was a matter of what we were going to put with it. It was always going to be vegan something or something vegan or whatever combination of words it was that was going to have the word vegan in it there. And I think you know, basically because uh, veganism is something that um, was and still is so close to both mine and Rebecca's hearts that, um, yeah, it was something that... Uh, we probably didn't give, probably didn't give enough thought to when we first started. To be honest, but, um, maybe we could think of other options that didn't involve the word vegan. But uh, I think we were um, so dedicated to the vegan cause that um, it never really entered our minds that the word vegan wouldn't appear in a business name. 
Mm, mm. It's interesting because I interviewed another company that got the word in it and they actually said that they kind of wish they'd called their company something else now. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting, so I was curious. Yeah, well, there are times um, where uh, I have thought that as well, uh, but um, I, I don't see it as something that would hold a business back, um, particularly with the growth of veganism worldwide, you know, particularly in westernised countries in Australia and the US and the UK. Um, I don't think um, I don't think uh, having vegan in your company name really holds you back anymore these days. I mean, in in less sort of advanced countries, that that could be the case. But um, yeah, I certainly don't see it as an impediment to our business. Got it. So just in terms of um, marketing and getting stuff out, we talked about how you've sort of you you've grown um, somewhat through, you know, obviously community, vegan community type publications mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, have you used a media as in uh, editorial, getting, you know, getting coverage in edit, uh, in the media in any way to as part of your sort of PR strategy at all? Uh, we haven't we haven't actively sought out anything like that. Um, we've been approached by a number of publications um, uh, for advertising purposes, but also for um, to supply, you know, to supply product for them to evaluate if they're doing, um, uh, you know, comparisons of a particular category of food. Um, and uh, we've always been um, more than willing to to get involved in that sort of thing, um, okay. because we think that um, one that our products stack up against, you know. Uh, any non-vegan product, and number two, that um, the, those sorts of publications that were approaching us, the sort of publications that um, our target audience at the time, particularly when we first started, would be sort of would be reading and paying attention to. Right. Gotcha. Um, we didn't uh, we didn't sort of do any sort of editorial stuff as such. We were certainly willing to supply. Uh, information product and everything else to other people that were interested in um, in sort of featuring either us or our products um, you'd be mad not to um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's not something that we sort of went out of our way to uh, seek out cool what about social media are you active on any particular social media platforms and which of those have you found to be the most successful this day and age. Uh, when we first started back in 2005, um, it was a little bit of a different paradigm. Um, we've been a, probably a bit a bit slow keeping up with the, uh, the advances in that sort of area, but um, we have had a, quite a degree of success using Facebook, obviously, which is probably the, the main one that most people would use for that sort of thing. Um, uh, we do monthly newsletters um, and a couple of other little bits and pieces here and there to try and keep our consumers um, and our loyal customers informed about what we've been up to, what we're doing, where we're heading and everything else. So Facebook's the kind of key social media platform that you're using and that you're having success with, is that right? Yeah, uh, and have you found it's been a difference since they changed their algorithm a few months ago so that they only show uh, posts to uh, a small fraction of your fans unless you pay to boost the post? Yes. 
Right. And do you pay to boost the posts or do you just keep trying to come up with engaging content and, and put it out there organically? Yeah, we don't. We don't pay to boost. So. don't. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. the, the Facebook um, page that we run is um, a little, probably a little different to uh, most other businesses, um, which we tend to be in most areas, to be honest, um, where we, we don't just run um, one advertisement after another for our products or our business. We we have uh, a lot of content on there that um, you know is of, is of interest to people uh, that has little or nothing to do with our business, but is um, is of interest to people that are looking for and that are possibly like-minded to us and uh, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. That's a smart strategy. I think a lot more businesses could be, uh, would be, you know, serve themselves well to do that. Well, I, think, so. I think a lot of, I think it would be quite easy. I mean, you know, I'm a consumer myself at the end of the day, and uh, I know that I can become cynical with people, you know, constantly trying to push it, push a message down my throat or something like that, and trying to yeah. constantly sell me something. And um, you know, every day that I look at Facebook and someone trying to sell me um, the same thing in a different guise. Uh, every day of the week, um, I think, um, yeah, it sort of uh, gets a bit yeah. gets a bit much for people. I think it's just a, a constant barrage of advertising for one's business or one's products. So that was Jeremy Johnson from Vegan Perfection. You can find out more about Jeremy at veganperfection.com.au and you can find that link on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our roundup of vegan business news. Three students from the University of Alberta have taken out the grand prize at a food innovation competition for their vegan gelato creations, reports Veg News. Biotta gelato is made from a selection of beans that are fermented to create a creamy base. The students exhibited three flavours, maple walnut, passion fruit and dark chocolate cassis. The young entrepreneurs receive an all-expenses-paid trip to the Institute of Food Technologists' annual meeting and food expo in July to showcase their products to companies and investors. Exciting stuff. And it's all happening on the gelato front this week. Gelato Blue in the vegan-friendly suburb of Newtown in Sydney, Australia, announced on its Facebook page that from 26th of March it is ditching dairy and going entirely vegan. The ice cream store has been slowly phasing out dairy after becoming aware of the devastating impact of animal agriculture on the environment. As of next week, coconut replaces cow's milk, meaning the ice cream is still super rich and creamy, while cruelty-free and planet-friendly. So Sydney's certainly leading the way with regular eateries veganising. Last year, Gigi's Pizzera went vegan, followed by Soul Burger and now Gelato Blue. I'm loving how business owners are starting to really understand the impact of animal agriculture and are being bold and brave enough to make changes to become conscious ethical companies. Um, and I'm particularly happy because I live in Sydney and I'm really enjoying our city being the one of the leaders in this area. So fantastic news. A classic car dealership has teamed up with a vegan food business in San Francisco to offer a unique location to consume tasty food. Hella Vegan Food Truck, I love that title, Hella Vegan. 
<laughs> Hella Vegan Food Truck is set to serve food at its first bricks and mortar location at Classic Cars West Beer Garden, reports SF Gate. The eatery will be incorporated into the car dealership, which also hosts art exhibitions. So it's a pretty cool sounding space and it's great to see vegan food being served up in such creative settings and really lovely to see these kinds of collaborations happening. Finally, more big news this week following last week's launch of the Plant-Based Foods Association, which is representing vegan voices at the table in Washington. Now the Good Food Institute has launched this week. With renowned activist Bruce Friedrich at its helm as executive director, the Institute's aim is to increase the amount of quality plant-based products in the marketplace by working with companies to expand their reach into more restaurants, grocery stores and food service outlets. The Institute recognises the need to make meat alternatives cheaper and as easy as possible to access to make it a no-brainer for people to choose the ethical option. Among the initiatives the Institute is carrying out are hosting events at universities and colleges to attract more scientists, entrepreneurs and investors to the plant-based food sector. The Institute has teamed up with New Crop Capital, a $25 million venture capital fund that will invest exclusively in plant and culture-based alternatives to animal agriculture, as well as technology platforms that make plant-based eating easier. New Crop Capital is focused on angel, seed and Series A investments with the goal of creating as robust a plant and culture-based marketplace as possible. This is so exciting. We really are in the midst of a vegan revolution. We've got a real chance to make a dent in people's consumption habits and moving them away from animal products towards plant-based products. And as I say in my talks on vegan business, we've got to make it as easy as possible for people to access vegan products and services. And certainly the Good Food Institute is now a major player in ensuring this happens. You can find out more at thegoodfoodinstitute.org and I'll be reporting updates on this organisation's progress. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 